Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 24. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is God's word. Our great God and Father, we ask as ever that your spirit will be at work amongst us this morning because there is much around us which causes us to perhaps groan. There is much which is frustrating. There is amongst us uh, significant suffering. Father, would you cause us to recognize that there is no comparison between what we know now, what we experience now, and the glory that awaits in the future. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're joining us, we're at six weeks in um, just this one chapter of uh, the book of Romans. And last time, we looked at these verses, verses 16 and 17. Lovely. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So wonderful. We've suffered already. We're, we're, we're God's children. We belong to him. He'll never let us go. We're his heirs. We will inherit this creation renewed with Jesus. We'll share and rule over it with him. If. Verse 17. If. If we share in his sufferings. If, that's the clear word of the scripture, suffering now, glory later. Or other words in our passage, frustration now, 
glory later. Groaning now, glory later. And there's no way around that. Sharing his sufferings, golly. And you could think, well, suffering now, no thanks. <laughs> or, or suffering now, is it worth it? Oh, yes. And our verses this morning, they make one simple point. There is pain and frustration in this world now. But is it worth hanging on as a Christian? Is it worth paying the cost for those frustrations? (laughs) Don't even ask the question. It's a natural question, but at the same time, it's a daft question. You just cannot compare suffering now with the glory that is to come. They are not on the same level. So don't be surprised when suffering comes. Keep going. Don't despair when frustration is exhausted. Keep going. Keep going. Frustration, suffering now, glory later. There was one uh, very miserable and at the same time delightful story uh, last month. Um, it was from Australia, but it made the news over here. I don't know if you read it in the papers. Andrew Essendon, excuse me, Andrew Thorburn um, uh, was appointed CEO of Essendon Football Club. That's like weirdy football, but you know, um, Aussie rules football. But anyway, it's a big thing for them. Um, and, uh, but it's like a bit like, um, Essendon's one of the big established clubs. So it's a bit like you're appointed Chief Executive Officer of Manchester United or something like that. That's a big job. And uh, a good salary, 850K. Um, and um, so he's appointed, he described it as the proudest day of his life to be appointed CEO of Essendon Football Club. And one day later, he resigned, forced out. It lasted a day uh, in the job. Uh, the reason being, he was appointed, and then the media got hold of, oh, look, and also he's chairman of the uh, elders at this church, City on Hill in Melbourne. And um, I tell you what, they have abhorrent views on abortion, like it's not a good thing, um, and on marriage like between a man and a woman. And it just so the, the, the press went crazy, and uh, the state premier uh, called him, him and his views horrific, abhorrent, appalling. That's quite a big, you know, I don't know how much money you've earned in your life, and he's earned a decent chunk of money as a banker, uh, Andrew Thorburn, but all of a sudden you're appointed to this prominent role. You're on the front page of every newspaper, and it's as if the mayor of London says you're abhorrent and appalling. Thanks. What does Mrs. Thorburn think? What do his kids think? And so he resigned as CEO, gave up his 850K, took on an enormous amount of abuse in the press. But in his statement, it was a great statement he put out. He said, being appointed CEO of Essendon was one of the proudest days of my life. But it cannot compare to being to my faith in Christ. Because that is central to who I am. And he wrote lots about freedom of belief, etc. He was a very careful, he's a, he's a bright man, he's, he put it out very well. But the reason it was miserable, absolutely miserable for him, but actually very encouraging for lots of Christians, because there was a guy who said, yeah, I'll give up my decent salary, I mean more than decent, um, I'll give up my salary and I'll take enormous abuse, I'll be on the front page of every national newspaper and abused. But to be honest with you, there's nothing. Compared to belonging to Jesus, it was fine. I mean, was it a difficult decision? 
following Jesus and, and staying as chairman of my church elders or holding on to my job and my salary. I mean, I thought about it for a second. No comparison between the two. It's very encouraging, if miserable for him. Well, he understood this little bit of Romans chapter 8. As I say, six weeks in this chapter, it's a pretty significant chapter in the Bible, and on our slow walk through the book of uh, Romans. And uh, if you remember, chapter 1 is bookended by these comments. Chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 1. There, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You get to the end of the chapter. Chapter 8, verse 39. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No condemnation, no separation. Once you belong to Jesus, he'll take you home. And uh, Phil has taken us through the first half of the chapter, verses 1 to 17, focusing the emphasis uh, on the work of the Spirit, persuading us that we're his children, transforming us um, uh, as God's children. And then verses 18 to the end deal with this issue of suffering. Don't let the sufferings of this life derail you if you're a Christian, they are inevitable and he will take you home through them. So verse 17 is kind of the hinge uh, of the chapter. So Paul turns to suffering from now until the end of the uh, of chapter eight. Don't be shocked. Don't despair. You'll get exhausted. Yeah, I know, says Paul, but keep going. Keep going. And so really for this morning, there's just one point. It's a simple one that present sufferings cannot compare to future glory. That's it. Present sufferings cannot compare to future glory. Just don't put them on the same page. They're different categories. You cannot compare them. So we'll work through that. There's two little other things we'll say, but that's the the one idea. Okay, uh, there it is in verse 18. Uh, I consider then, that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let me ask a couple of things. What, is, what does he mean by suffering? What does he mean by glory? Because that's clearly important to the logic here. You don't compare the two, but what does he mean? What does he mean by suffering? He's declared that we have to share in Christ's sufferings. So, was that crucifixion? I mean, what? Rejection? What, does, what does, he, does he mean that? I, get, I think the question is here, does he mean persecution or does he mean the general sufferings and pain of life in this world? I think it's, well, it's both, but primarily the latter. Because he's going to go on to say, we'll see it in a moment, verses 19 to 22, this world is groaning. This world is frustrated. This world is futile in parts. That's just what, and creation knows it. You can go and ask the Brecon Beacons out, you can go and ask um, the, the mountains of Scotland, you can go and ask the, the sea around the, the UK, is this world all it's meant to be? No, they say. This is a frustrating place at times. There's general frustrations. And also, by the time you get to the end of the chapter, there's a mixture. Some is persecution, some is not. So verse 35, for example, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Hardship, persecution, Sword, well, those look like hostility, but trouble, famine, nakedness, those are often just life in this world. Not particularly, you're not suffering for being a Christian, it's just this world is frustrating. 
at times. So I take it he's talking mainly here when he says our present sufferings, the hardships, the frustrations of life in this world that make us ask the question, is it worth it, the Christian life? Can I keep going in it? Is it it worth taking risks for Jesus? Should I just make my life as safe and comfortable as I can? I know the world's difficult, so I'm just going to cover myself in um, bubble wrap as much as I possibly can financially and culturally and where I live. I'm just going to wrap myself in bubble wrap because that's all I could. Or am I ambitious for Jesus? So, look, unemployment, family stresses, difficult relationships, illness, cancer, sufferings of life in this world. I think that's what he's talking about. But they cannot compare to future glory. So what does he mean by that? What does he mean by glory? Because it's quite specific what he says. It's those sufferings of now, they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us or for us, you could translate it. Glory, the simplest way of taking it, I think, a good simple definition. God's glory, the outward shining of who he is. The outward demonstration of the beauty of his character. The magnificence of his attributes. It's who he is on display, supremely seen in Christ. And yet only in part there, of course. You know, John, if you, John's gospel, John can say, John chapter one, um, no doubt we'll have it read at Christmas time. We've seen his glory, says John. Yeah, but not all of it. I mean, like you go to the transfiguration and Peter, James and John, then they see just a, a little bit more of glory. They say, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, stand back from that. We've seen his glory, we've seen his character, we've seen it manifested, we've seen his attributes, but only in part, even in Christ, not the fullness on display. And the promise here is, we'll share his glory, chapter 8, verse 17, and that glory will be revealed in us, to us. The the, the sense is... um, The glory of God apprehends us, surrounds us, transforms us. If you you go on holiday, a bit of winter sun, um, and you spend uh, all day, every day outside in in, in a sunny climate, uh, most of us, you know, uh, will, will be transformed a little bit from one degree of either whiteness to redness, or one degree of, uh, of color to a slightly deeper degree. You know, we're, we're transformed by being in the sun, if we are for a long length of time. But to be in the presence of the glory of God, your character is transformed. Who you are is moved, made more like him. You get hints of it with Moses. So you remember um, uh, in Exodus, Moses, he's up the mountain, he spends time with the Lord. Whenever he spends time with the Lord, his face is shining and glowing. And the Israelites say, ah, 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 and can you just put something over your face? Not you're ugly, because it's just too much. The, The reflected glory of the Lord on Moses' face is too much for the Israelites to even look upon. 
And that's just reflected glory. And Paul says, God's glory will be revealed in you. You're not just reflecting it. You'll be within it, transformed by it, made like him. All glory belongs to God. And yet, we get to share in it. And Paul says here, you can't compare these two. You cannot compare the worst of this life or even the best of this life with glory that is to come. You just can't put them on the same page. Some things you can compare, they're different, but you can compare them. Uh, Do you want to have one meal at Nobu or four meals at Peter Express? I mean, well, it all works out sort of the same. Yeah, but do you want four or one? Well, I don't know. I quite like one nice meal or four meals is better value for money. I don't know. You can compare those sort of things. Some things you can compare. Um, David Beckham getting whatever it is, uh, 150 million. Is that right? True, could truly be the case. We're being an ambassador for Qatar at the moment. So he's taken the money, but his reputation is trashed. Um, is that a... I mean, that, you know, which do you want? A reputation or 150 million pounds? Don't answer that question. Your first instinct will be wrong. (laughs) So some things you can compare, other things you just can't compare. Oh, I've left them down, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, Would you rather have one piece of chewing gum or 10 million pounds? I mean, no catch. It's not complicated, is it? Or um, where's 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 my willing assistant? Alvin. Without being, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Without being derogatory or rude, which is more valuable, Alvin or a paperclip? <laughs> I mean, that, I don't want to be rude. That's not a comparison, is it? Now, Alvin, which can you hold up the longest? If you, if you give, us, give us the sort of muscle pose. If I put a, a feather in one, go on, give it straight. Go on, straight. Come on, boy. Come on. <laughs> and it's just, it's, just, it's just like, which, which, which is going to be longest held up? <laughs> what about... <sighs> Mind you, the feather's not doing very well either. Come on, get the... Okay, well, well done, well done, well done. That's, that's, no, that's your prize. That's your prize. I mean, a feather or 25K? I mean, yeah. But Paul's saying, no, no, a feather or a ton. Which can you hold up the longest? Well, don't, be, don't be so stupid. Yeah, that's my point. You can't compare present suffering with future glory. I mean... You can try, you can put them in the same sentence, but when you consider what we're talking about and that glory lasts forever, you don't compare those things. A completely different plane, level. And he makes the same point elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4. It's not just in Romans, he thinks it. He tells the church in, in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 4. Maybe he doesn't. Therefore, We do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. 
for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, what is seen is, excuse me, unseen is eternal. It's the same point. Our light and momentary troubles achieve an eternal glory that far outweighs. You can't compare these two. You can't. Whatever cost you pay now as a Christian, you are rewarded infinitely more. So you might say, well, I get grief for my faith as a Christian. That is simply not worth comparing with with the joy of your welcome in heaven. The first second that you are in the presence of the Lord Jesus will far outweigh 50 years of frustration and being abused. Far outweigh. You might say, well, I'm a bit nervous about giving at the moment. It is not worth comparing with the investment, the returns that you get in the future. When you've been there for a week in eternity, how do you even weigh up what's going to last, the the, the glory and joy you have then with the frustrations now? When you've been there a month, a year? Our troubles now are light and momentary. Our suffering now, brief, glory, eternal. Just don't compare the two. Our present suffering cannot compare to future glory. Two brief comments to, uh, to support that um, that Paul goes on to make. First, then, creation yearns for future glory. Uh, verse 19, 4, because the creation waits in eager, ex- eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What's the link there? Uh, our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed for because creation waits. You, you do realize, says Paul, it's not just you having a bad time. The whole of creation is saying, oh, for goodness sake, can we get on with eternity? The whole of creation is in eager expectation. It's this sense of standing on tiptoes. You're in a crowd. You know, you know is, that, is, that the, is that the queen's carriage going by? Is that her coffin going by at the moment? Whatever it is, or Harry Styles, whoever you want to see in a crowd. Um, you know, is that, you know, you're, that's creation, says Paul. Are we, are we nearly there yet? Is it, when are we... Creation longs for that, desperate. Verse 19, longs for the, uh, for the creation, wait in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. He goes on with the logic for because creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The whole of creation is in the grip of futility. Decay has been since Genesis chapter 3 and the fall. Creation longs to be brought into the freedom of humanity. Basically, the whole of creation is saying, can we have, can we have like, good humans back, please? Can we have humans who are perfectly in the image of God back, please, to rule over us? 
We don't want these fallen humans. We don't want this fallen world. We want redeemed humanity ruling us rightly, is what creation is saying. And verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not, uh, or not even the painful, but the, the groans of anticipation, the groans of something better is coming. The groans of this is not ideal at this moment in time, but we know what comes next. That sense of groaning. Look for you and me. We're not, we're not frustrated at the moment thinking, well, it's a bit tough at times now, but it'll be a bit better in the future. It's not, it's not an evening out. It's not, well, the life to come, that's like getting money back on something that's gone wrong here and now, like an insurance claim. Well, we had a nice house, but it flooded and the furniture was ruined, but it's okay, the insurance company's paid out, so... It's all back to normal again now. It, it's evened itself out. Again, he's not saying that. He's saying you can't compare. Whatever you lose now, it's not that God just compensates. It, you just can't compare the two. They're on different scale. And our groaning, our frustration, if I can put it in these terms, don't take it so personally. The whole world, the whole of creation is frustrated. Yeah, there's brilliant things in this world, of course. But it's not how it's meant to be. It's not how it will be. You could go to whatever you think is beautiful. You could go to uh, Yosemite National Park and look at El Capitan and think, wow, that, what an extraordinary map, stunning and beautiful. And uh, you just, oh, you're the most stunning thing I've seen in ages. And it would say to you, oh, I'll tell you, I'm so frustrated. I just can't wait to be renewed. It's just, oh, I just feel like at the moment I'm so frustrated. Or you can go to the beautiful North Cornish coastline with its unending coves in and out and beautiful white sands, which if, um, you know, just knocks the hat off Big Sur in California or the Great Ocean Road in Australia. You can keep them. Um, North Cornwall, magnificent, miles nicer. And you happen to be walking along, I don't know, Watergate Bay, Constantine Bay, and you say, oh, it's so refreshing. It's so good to be out of the city. It's so refreshing and it's so beautiful here. And they would say, oh, to tell you what, this ain't nothing. You wait. You wait until we're renewed, redeemed. Oh, we're longing for that day. It's just so frustrating at the moment. Your sufferings and hardship now, they are part of a much bigger picture. The whole of creation is frustrated now. So Paul would say, don't be surprised that this world is frustrating don't be surprised amidst all its joys and its delights and its pleasures at points you suffer. That is inevitable in this fallen world. But don't compare the pain, the suffering, the frustration now with what is to come and think, well, hopefully it'll be worth it. It is more than worth it. You can't compare the two. Jesus went through suffering before glory. That is our path to.
Creation yearns for future glory. Last little thing, we yearn. We yearn for future bodily glory, verses 23 to 25. We are the same. Uh, Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemptions of our bodies. Uh, Again, the groaning here, not, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, this uh, groaning sounds like Come, Lord Jesus, I'm looking for something better. That's the sense of groaning here. Why are we groaning? We have the first fruits of the Spirit. He's come into the hearts of believers, and he gives us a foretaste of what the new creation is like. We've just got the beginning now, just the start. What are we groaning for? We're groaning for the adoption to our sonship, or daughtership, but sons inherited in that culture, the redemption of our bodies. Aren't we children of God already? Yes. But our bodies are not redeemed. We are children of God, and the Spirit dwells within us, and alongside that is the daily battle and struggle with sin and the frustrations of life in this world. Again, to pick up a image that Phil used last week. It, it, the day I became, before I became a Christian, Matt Fuller, the, the life of Matt Fuller, it's a garden and it's just full of weeds. It's just full of weeds. I become a Christian and beautiful seeds and plants are planted and flowers grow. And I can look at the flowers at points in my life and say, oh, great, flowers. And I look at the weeds and go, oh, weeds. And I've got to dig up the weeds. Oh. And they just keep on growing. They keep on growing. And then I walk out of my own garden and look at the street, and it's just the same. There's some beauty there, but there's a lot of weeds and a lot of weeds and a lot of weeds. And that's now. We just had the first fruits of the beauty of the... We're looking forward to all the weeds going. We're looking forward to the redemption of this world and the redemption of our bodies The two intertwined. And so how do we groan? We groan hopefully, verse 24. In this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. But who hopes for what they've already seen? If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We groan in hope. The frustrations of this world make us look forward. Without suffering, without frustrations on planet Earth, We just rely on ourselves. We all know this. When everything goes well, we don't need anyone else. We don't need to pray because we've got it under control. But when frustration comes close, when pain comes, when suffering comes, we say, come Lord Jesus. Oh, this world is a pain and I long for the next. We groan in hope. We know that this world is not home. We're going somewhere better. We know that. Just the same as he said in chapter 5 and verse 3, we glory in our suffering. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. Our sufferings lead to hope, chapter 5, verse 3. He's bringing the whole section of chapters 5 to 8 together. So we yearn for future bodily glory. And what do we do now? Verse 25, we wait patiently, not passively, but patiently. This world is not home. Jesus will return. 
He will take me to be with him. And then, then is glory that cannot compare to the frustrations of here and now. And so don't be frustrated, excuse me, don't be surprised at the frustrations of this world. <coughs> They'll come. Don't despair at them. You may be pretty beaten down at the moment and exhausted. Keep going, says Paul. The frustrations of this life are designed in God's purposes to make us keep looking forward to future glory. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. All of us need to know this. It's just crucial for living the Christian life, crucial for reality and, and, and living this life sensibly. We need to know this. We all need to know it. If you're not yet a Christian, you have to know that no matter how frustrating this life is, the world to come is, ex is extraordinary. In fact, no matter how good this life can be, it is of no comparison to the world to come. But I guess if at the moment you are in the midst of trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, if that is acutely close, if sickness and the stresses of this world are your constant companions at this moment in time, then know this, hear this, that your present Sufferings are not worth comparing to future glory that will surround you, envelop you, transform you, be revealed in you, that you will share with Jesus Christ because of his work. And if you, some of us need to hear it desperately now, you just can't compare. Let me pray. Let me lead us as we pray. Our Father, we spend much of our lives comparing. We compare cost of this shop against that shop. We compare our lives against others sometimes. We compare this football team against that football team in a World Cup. We compare. And Father, of course, in telling us not to compare, there's a sense in which you want us to look at these two things, our present sufferings, future glory. We're meant to look at them starkly and realize there is not a graph that they can both fit on. There is not a page upon which they can both be written because future glory outweighs our sufferings now to such a degree that it'll swallow up the pain of this life. Father, drive that truth into us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.